On this week's episode, Tim and I share our insights from the book of Revelation after teaching that amazing Wednesday night class. And also, I give a little bit of update of the opportunity I had to be at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. All of that and more on this week's episode of Goodwill Talk. Been a, it's been a busy couple of weeks for me, Tim. I know it has. It's been busy. Yeah, because you uh, haven't been here. That's how I know it. No, I know. It's, <laughs> it's been insane. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Goodwill Talk. Thanks for being here. Um, we haven't recorded an episode in three weeks. People don't know that because they come out every week. Um, but I haven't been able to be in here recording for three weeks. I missed one week for travel. Then Jeff was gone. Um, and uh, still gone, by the way. He's supposed to show up halfway <laughs> through this episode, and that's why you're not hearing any drops or fun things right now. Um, but then I was gone uh, for the next week as well. So it's been it's been a lot. But I tell you what, man, um, I had one of the most surreal experiences of my life um, a few days ago. Um, I have you ever? Do you go to the prayer breakfast here in Orange County? I have not been no. No, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting experience. I, I um I've been a couple of times. I didn't make it last year, but the, the few years before that when COVID wasn't a thing, um, you know, I went to a couple of them and you know, it's early. I'm not a morning person, but c'est la vie, you get up. It's a decent meal, like it's good food. Um normally there's a good speaker there, a handful of people from the community, uh, elected officials, um, nonprofit people, business people. They pray. They talk a little bit about what they're doing. It's a good networking opportunity. It's good. It's a good event. And um, it's patterned off of the National Prayer Breakfast, which I got to go to. Um, and that was surreal, man. That was <laughs> like not in a bad way. Well, I I can understand that. Sure. So I didn't get that sense. No, no it was I think um, you're setting up for to tell me something really cool. Like so that here's, you listen to a, here was a the talk morning. by the King of Jordan. I did. <laughs> and not just him. Yeah. And so the, the morning as well. The morning of the prayer breakfast, um, within a half hour span, we heard from President Biden, President Zelensky, and then the King of Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know about you, Tim, or our listeners. That's not a normal Thursday morning for me. Like, I don't normally just wake up, go have breakfast, and listen to a speech from the King of Jordan. Um, I don't know. Do you? Is that like a normal thing for you? Well, not you every Thursday. Not every, <laughs> not every Thursday. Um, <laughs> you know, and that, then for lunch, we heard from uh, from the Queen of Jordan. Uh, at the closing dinner, we heard from the um, Foreign Minister of Pakistan. You know, it's just, it, it's it was surreal, man. It was cool, though. Sounds like you're a little starstruck. I, I'm still processing it a little bit. Um, <laughs> and there's there's a lot to process from those couple of days. Um, one of our elders, Dave Regina, was with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife and my wife was there. And uh, But what was also cool, and, and this is why I wanted to bring it up here, um, we got to meet all of the people, most of the team. I think there's only one person on the team that wasn't there. Um, most of the people behind the Orange County Prayer Breakfast. Oh, okay. And That's we got cool. to sit with them and talk with them and and learn a little bit about what they do. Um, a, a diverse group of people from different faith traditions, all Christian traditions, but, you know, a Catholic and uh, uh, someone who's over at Grace, a couple people at Grace, you know, and, and a couple other folks. And then actually there's somebody here at Goodwill who's uh, a part of that as well, Renee Marchant. Oh, cool. um, and so it was, 
it was a cool experience. And mm-hmm. and the reason I bring this up is I want to encourage people to be praying for those who are putting together the Orange County Prayer Breakfast. Amen. Because it's a uh, it's a labor of love for them. Nobody's getting paid for this. Yep. They're doing it because they think it's important. Um, and you know, if if you have the opportunity, if you own a business, if you're in the nonprofit world, um, I encourage people to look towards October. I know it's a we're in February. It's a long way away, but look towards October and uh, try and get to the National Prayer Breakfast or not National. Sorry, the Orange County Prayer Breakfast. That's a good follow up for our last episode. I think so. Right. Yeah. We're just talking about prayer. Yeah. So get together with people in your community and pray. Yeah. It's Amen. A good way to do it. And and honestly, you know, if there's going to be a prayer breakfast, the churches should be taking the lead. Yeah. I'm course. just, you know, if, if it's prayer involved, maybe the Christians should take the lead on this. I'm just just spitballing a little bit. It seems like a reasonable I conclusion. Feel like it's ours to to lead there, but um, yeah. So it was a, it was cool. I'm glad to be back though. I'm glad to be back. Um, this is coming out the day after the Super Bowl. Oh gosh, I really? We're gonna go there. I see. So here's the thing. It might be a bad day for you. It could. This could be the worst day ever, or the best day ever. I have no idea. Don't know what I'm working. Locking is it the into. best day ever? But just since 2017, or yeah, 2017 was a great day. That was a great day. We have a, uh, I was in a small group last night and we have a, uh, a Giants fan in our, in that small group. And on the on route to the Super Bowl, we beat the Giants. The Eagles beat the Giants. Yes. And, uh, so if you're on route to the night, Super Bowl, you beat everybody. That's kind of, the well, no, but idea. I mean, like they were one of the teams we beat in the playoffs. And so, um, yesterday I made him wear an Eagles jersey. Um, that was the bet. The bet was if the Eagles win, he has to wear an Eagles jersey. If the Giants win, I have to wear a Giants jersey. And he had to wear my Eagles jersey. And I've got a picture of it that I'm going to send it to. I'm, I'm going to send it to him every year for the rest of life. I'm going to send him that picture. Yeah, because that's like remarkably pastoral of you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, it tells him I'm thinking about him. I'll pray for him as I send the picture. Is that what it tells him? Yeah, sure. That's not the message I get. What's the message you get? You're just being spiteful and mean because you like to be that way. No, I'm not. It's in love. Is it really in love? Yeah, he's a good guy. I love the guy. It's great. Listen, Cowboys fan, I could easily do something to, to uh, you know. What do you I'll mean think you of could? A bet. You've done. I'll think of a bet. And continue to do. Yeah, there, there will be a bet at some there point. There was a statement on this podcast not long ago that described the Cowboys as the worst football team in the history of mankind. <laughs> And remember how I responded to that, I by the way, that. which was that we have five Super Bowl rings in a shorter history and you have, wait for it, ah, one. Whatever. We're ignoring all that. All yeah. right, let's well, get to work. Who needs history? Let's get to work. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Tim, you and I just had uh, an amazing experience teaching the book of Revelation together, and we were going to end it together, and snow day happened, and we had to shut down um, our Wednesday night programming, so you had to end the class by yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, and that meant we didn't get to have any light closing conversation. I was sad about that. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to do that because I was traveling. So um, let's talk about the book of Revelation. (laughs) Let's do that. Let's, Let's give half an hour. To, uh, to saying goodbye to a book that I hadn't said hello to in a very long time, uh, to be completely honest. Um, I'm curious, before we, we get in, what was your experience with the book of Revelation before teaching this? Like, what was your 
exposure to it, your comfortability with it? Um, I always valued it. Um, my history is very different than yours. I didn't have the, uh, the, the dispensational interpretation or the struggle in wrestling with how do you move away from that? Uh, that's just not part of my story. I remember many, many years ago being introduced to the notion that the ancient church saw revelation as, um, shaping and informative to the worship liturgy. Um, you see that in the throne room chapters of four and five, uh, uh, the, the smoke of the incense of the prayers of the saints and things of that nature, finding expression in ancient liturgical, uh, worship services. Um, I always find that very appreciative. Um, it always made sense to me that this was for the whole age because it didn't fit for the early churches to have this matter and for, for the rest of everything after chapter five to not matter. You know, some of those, those typical things that you, that made a ton of sense to me. So it really wasn't that challenging for me looking at the book though. I think I would say that one of the things I did struggle with was um, it may be a book that is hardest and most dangerous to cherry pick texts from. So if you're kind of like, you know, you like a Bible verse and you like a life verse and I'm not, it's the word of God. And so by all means, of course, but when you think about apocalyptic literature, you want to think in terms of let's be careful where we're picking something out of because it can be tricky uh, yeah. to place that in. It's not like a proverb. Yeah. You're holding that in because you're like, <laughs> well, I just, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of some of the passages where pulling a verse out and saying, this is my life verse could be really horrifying. Um, no, I, I think that there are some, there's some proverbs for example where you could do that it's a great life verse or good yeah, verse for the year proverbs are perfect for that they're, they're yeah. great for that they're designed for that yeah. frankly yeah and many verses are i just sure so but you're always going to run into some risk when you're pulling out of a narrative context or the larger context of the book i just think for um especially the way we taught revelation when you see it as a as cyclical um you've got to be careful while you're pulling these texts out so yeah. so it's uh trickier yeah so. Yeah, my 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 story with Revelation is decidedly more complicated um, because I, I grew up with um, well dispensationalism is like the technical term, but rapture theology is what people should think about. Right, you know, rapture theology was was everything. It was um, you know your pre-trib, pre-millennial. Like these are the terms that are used. I grew up with that theology. Mid-trib and post-trib too, right? There's other yeah. I mean, they're in there. They're in there, but how I grew up right. was the right view was pre-trib, pre-mill. Um, the compromisers were mid-trib or post-trib, and the unbelievers <laughs> the were ah-mill and post-mill. So yeah. like that, but it was like that was how it was presented, right? Um, and I grew up thinking that was just Christian theology. So my mind was a little blown in college when I realized that that was only like at that time, about 13% of the Christian population believed what I believed. And that was, that was hard for me to wrap my head around and create a little bit of a crisis. I'm not going to lie. And 13% um, of just those who were in the modern age. Yeah. Like yeah. probably a no percent oh, of anybody pre 1850. Well, the thing doesn't exist yeah. until yeah. 1860s, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, um, my, my relationship with that book was so complicated because we defined ourselves so narrowly based on a couple, like one non-verse, frankly, um, there's a, there's a supposed gap between chapters three and four where the rapture takes place mm -hmm. and that the church is no longer there. 
that's not a verse. That's a presupposition you place on it. But then that takes a lot of, um, you put a lot of weight on that sure. in the system I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And then another verse, um, or, or maybe five or six verses in Revelation 20 um, that are about the millennium. Mm -hmm. And what was, um, and I'm going to ask you this in a minute, you know, what was surprising to me about the book was just how, um, how minor that conversation is to the book of revelation yes because that was everything growing up oh yeah like yeah, that was yeah. the whole conversation was mm -hmm. about pre-trib post-trib all that kind of stuff and the actual book of revelation spends maybe five verses discussing a millennium mm -hmm. and the rest of the book is decidedly not about that yeah yeah and absolutely. i was really struck yeah by how much weight had been given to something that the Bible doesn't give weight to. Yeah. Our weight was, frankly, misplaced. out of proportion. Yeah. It was displaced, yeah. 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 Misplaced. Yeah. Misplaced. Yeah. And and I just um, absolutely was grateful to see the book in a way that put the emphasis back where it needed to be, mm -hmm. which is there is a suffering church, and they need to be encouraged. They need to they need to know they're blessed by God even in the midst of their struggle. Mm -hmm. That's what the book of Revelation was about. And I was pleasantly surprised in studying it this way. I I walked away from this book feeling like it was what you had described in the ancient church, vital to my worship life. Mm -hmm. This book has really become more and more important than it ever has in my life. Even when I was a dispensationalist and viewed things that particular way the book is now much more vital to my devotional life yeah. than mm -hmm. ever before. Yeah. What surprised you about the, the study? Um, I don't know that I would say so much it's a surprise, but similar in the, the subject of the millennium um, was my realization of even my own presuppositions about how much weight we put on this. And I found it ironic and almost humorous that, you know, it is five, six verses, maybe, maybe you could call it 10 verses, but that's, that's basically it. Right. And it's an uh, irony to me that in, in the systematic subject of eschatology, the end times, they're framed around what's your millennial view, right? Like the whole category of the last things is shaped around your view of millennium. In fact, we use the language of millennium to describe your position, yeah. right? You're either pre-mill or post-mill or a-mill, like you're focused on it. And I found, um, I recently listened to a, a sermon, and uh, I like the idea of for the a, instead of a mill, the uh, inaugurated millennium. Um, which, <laughs> You're gonna have to explain that. Which one, means man. that just we see that the age we're in as mm -hmm. a symbolic millennium, not a literal thousand years, but a symbolic period right. of time that we are has been inaugurated at the first coming of Christ and finds consummation at the at his in his return. That. I like that language. I think it's more descriptive. And it, it, yeah. in fairness to people who are not familiar with that, a millennial sounds weird. It does sound like we're dismissing the millennium. That we say it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 not what it means. So I like the 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 term inaugurated millennium. It makes sense to me. But it's just a way to maybe we just need to rethink the language a lot because we we tend to narrow our whole study of eschatology uh, to your view of the end of the end rather than your right. lens by which we think about, I mean, the, the entire new Testament is eschatological. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
Well, and I mean, if you if you turn to one of our favorite verses, right? This is Second uh, Timothy chapter three, and it's an important passage to always keep in mind, mm-hmm. no matter what part of Scripture you're in. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Right. The Book of Revelation is included in that, and what can happen when we make it about our millennium views mm-hmm. is we lose sight that this is supposed to train me in righteousness. Yeah, this is supposed to convict me of sin. Yeah, it's supposed to teach me about who God is and how I'm to live as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. It's um, it's we, an emphasis yeah. in the wrong place. Absolutely, that violates how we view the other sixty-five books of the Bible. Right. We we built that into the opening of the class. Right. We used that verse to talk about that. This has to be the lens. If, in fact, we understand Revelation to belong to the canon of Scripture, then it, this must be true of it as well. It reminds me of something else that's interesting. It, you know, you know that um, there is a study that we do in terms of, um, in certain theological realms, about what we call lower and higher criticism, right? Yeah. So in higher criticism, one of the defaults that we as evangelicals, as, as believers in Scripture, and as God breathed, Second Timothy, is uh, that we push back against the, the notion in higher criticism that uh, endeavors to divide up the book right. and to see different sections as belonging to different people in different times. It moves the prophetic out of the realm of the prophetic. It sort of, you know, it must have uh, natural reasons for everything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that one could consider the common dispensational view of Revelation as doing something similar in the sense that it's dividing it up into these sections of this matters for everybody, and this only matters for the future, and this vision is this. It seems very counterintuitive to the continuity. I think one of the things that we we really pushed hard on was we see the the three genres, but the letter genre is the genre that unites the entire book. This is one letter that contains seven letters symbolically for you know the completion but it is one letter it begins as a letter it ends as a letter uh, it's one right so and it by doing this it, it allows us to to bring the book of revelation back into its context yeah it's a letter from an author to a people yeah that need to receive something yeah and and i think one of the things we've done with the revelation is we've displaced it from time yeah, um, it's it, sometime way in the future, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be applicable across the ages, yeah. no question. Mm-hmm. But there is a context in which it was written, and there are people who are receiving it. and And here's the thing: if I'm in one of these churches, if I'm in Ephesus, and my church is dealing with some stuff, and um, I receive a letter from the last living apostle, mm. and it's this it's twenty two chapters worth of material here. And yet all I get that's going to help me in my situation is my little few verses specifically to Ephesus and everything else is about some distant or dis, distant well, I mean, generation. Not, to, to be fair, not everything, future, right? Everything after chapter five. Well, I mean, in, in some dispensational circles, everything after the letters. Oh, really? So, so we don't see the, the elevation of the throne room. No, as having... that's all, that's all future. Oh. Um, so like I've been left okay. with just my bit. Yeah. Everything else is for a future generation I'll never come into contact with. And that while that's interesting, maybe, it's not helping me when the Romans are knocking on my door and arresting my congregation. Yeah. 
No, like it, it's no, there's a there's the, an audience that needs to be helped, right. and that's what John is writing for right. a persecuted audience, right? And I think that you know, that's one of my favorite verses that I took away from um, this time in the book and this this study was what well, we got right away in chapter one that John is a partaker in the tribulation. Yes. So if John in the first century is a partaker in the tribulation, then he cannot be talking about something that's solely in the future, 2,000 years and counting away. Um, he is a partaker in the the singular tribulation, which is for the entirety of the church. Yeah, and that so that means we are as well, yes. which means that yeah. this book is is deeply practical. Yeah for our walk with Jesus. Yeah. And that's that's something that I've never considered about the book of Revelation. I've never mm -hmm. seen it as overly practical, um, but it is. Mm -hmm. It's designed to help people who are suffering, and we are all partakers in the tribulation. This, this present evil age that we live in is going to present tribulation mm -hmm. to those who are of the kingdom. Yeah. And... Um, you know, that, that's in this what makes, world, yeah, there will, there will be, be trouble. <laughs> that's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so there was there was the the verse in Revelation one. Mm -hmm. um, what's another like favorite section of Revelation that that comes to mind when you're thinking about our study through the book? Uh, there's probably more than one. I I, I mean, it's hard to say. I I loved uh, the consideration, for example, that in chapters two and three we look at the church. And then we see a parallel at the end. So we, we've observed this in the sermons uh, that you see something unique in the ending chapters of Revelation that you don't see since the beginning of the Bible, a context of no sin, a context of no sin again. But what I think is more specific in the book of Revelation is an early context in chapters two and three with the church militant, as we sometimes refer to the church in battle, the church in the midst of spiritual warfare, and the warnings and encouragements and promises offered to that church to, to strengthen the exhortations, right? We talked about that too, right? That's the distinction between prophetic and apocalyptic is prophetic has exhortation. Um, and there's a lot of that in there. Um, and that, that finds fulfillment in 21 and 22. You see um, the church in glory. And I love that bookending kind of framework for the book. You see, here's the church militant. Here's the church struggled. Here's the church where you and I are, um, and there's this great hope that on the other end here is here's the church in glory, and here's the church fulfilled and dressed in her white robes, and it's just the, the, the beauty of that fulfillment and the joy of heaven and the detail uh, of the description of that vision at the end is such an encouragement to me. And I love the, I love the, I love the intentionality that 21 brings about with um, uh, don't nail down this vision to one thing. Right, it's a temple city, and it's a bride, and it's not one or the other. Right, right, you know, it's right. A, it's this multifaceted vision of yeah. who we are as the church, yeah. and it brings together all the metaphors of the church. It's beautiful. Uh, it's it's astonishing, beautiful, and it's all the and and as we and one of the things that we said a lot in the class, and is absolutely true, and that that vision is a perfect illustration of it. Um, seventy, approximately seventy percent of Revelation is grounded in Old Testament illusion right. rather than looking to the future. We don't look to the future to, to interpret Revelation as we, we wouldn't do that in any context in the Scripture. We always right. look to what the people of God had already been given by God at the time. And in Revelation, we have the whole of the canon of Scripture, mm -hmm. and much of it is Old Testament illusion. Scripture interprets Scripture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how it is. Exactly. That's, that's mm -hmm. um, how our tradition has always done it, and mm -hmm. I think that's just good 
practice, good exegesis. Yeah, I think that broadens beyond just our tradition. Yeah. I think, you know, good, you know, that's grounded in any Orthodox tradition. It's some just so. good biblical scholarship. Scripture interprets scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, those are great. So, so there were a couple um, passages that really stood out to me. First mm-hmm. is also in Revelation 1. And it's the vision of Christ. Yeah, that's to me too. I mean, it's hard to pick one. It so. is, it is. So I'm yeah. going to give you two. Yeah. Um, the first one for me is the vision of Christ in, in chapter one. It, um, when, I, when I've considered who Christ is, my mind has regularly gone back to Christ in Galilee or Christ on the cross. Those Christ kinds of humiliation. Images, right, yeah. yeah. Um, when John is in his, at his lowest point, exiled away from people who are suffering that he loves and nothing to be able to do for them, um, he cries out to the Lord. And before Jesus answers the prayer, he says, what you need before anything else is you need a right vision of me. Mm-hmm. And he, he presents himself in his glory as he is right now. And that challenged my own perception of when I think of Jesus, mm-hmm. I ought to, I think first think of him as he is not as he was yep. mm-hmm. he is glorified he was humiliated mm-hmm. he was with he had um basically enveloped that glory with human flesh yeah and he'd walked among but that that glory now shines through brightly and the picture of revelation in, in revelation one gives us this um this stunning picture of who he is mm-hmm. that i think I need to meditate more on in my own devotional life with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, so that was big. And then there's that's another beatific vision. It is. Yeah, you know, that's beatific vision. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because it's just a. Uh, we did this in our marriage group, so we were doing um, um, uh, knowing God. So J.I. Packard, which is not a marriage book per se, but it's it's good to dig into some theology and study Amen to that. The, the God. Your your marriage is going to get better. Your mm-hmm. walk is going to get better. So uh, we were looking at uh, the second commandment and images, and we were talking about that. And where you know how does that work? So, um, is it appropriate to uh, to to use pictures and uh, and that's a, that's an ongoing debate. Um, but one of the things that strikes me about Revelation chapter one, and you and I have had a number of these conversations over the course of the of the of this teaching the course, um, is it is inspired vision, right? Um, and I think what's striking about that to me is is. Uh, John Owen says it this way. Uh, he, he, John Owen says, you know, every person is going to have a picture of God in their head. The question that remains is not whether or not you're going to have it, and that's bad, but is it biblical? Mm. Is it accurate? A- mm. Am I is my picture just conjured? Is it driven by experience? Is it is it unexamined and assumed? Um, and you know, Owen as a Puritan is driving the the, the point of let let's let scripture be the filter and the lens by which we rightly shape the picture of Christ. And, and, you know, I, we've said it a number of times, right? Chapter one of revelation gives us the single greatest physical description. If you will call it that, I mean, it's a vision, but yeah. Um, of Jesus, we get no real picture at all of him, right? No. But we do here and it is in his glory and it is astonishing. So, you know, yeah. that, um, this is just maybe maybe a tease for later in the season, something that we should do. You bring this up, and that John Owen quote may be our way into it. Um, we should have a conversation about the chosen. 
Oh, we should have a conversation about that. That's because it brings up a whole lot of questions. I have, and, yeah, you're, and gonna, I think gonna, I'm going to make enemies here. No, I mean, but, I, I might as well. And, yeah. and that's, um, that's a conversation I think that we should have down the road because mm-hmm. I've gotten the question a handful of times. Like, it came up at our, at our marriage. Group. Yeah. So let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about that on the podcast at some point. It could be really good. It could be, <laughs> you know, it'll get you in trouble for once. Um, yeah, exactly. all right. <laughs> exactly. So the other, the other passage in revelation, um, that I now like in my own, I don't think we should do this. It's probably not a good idea. In my own ranking of like my favorite chapters in the Bible. So it's not a thing we should do, but you're going to do it anyway. I'm just telling people that maybe this is a error of mine, but Mm -hmm. I do. I have certain chapters or passages in scripture that rank like a top five for me that Mm -hmm. are deeply impactful, deeply important. I don't know how you read Um, the word and have and not do that. Yeah, maybe it's a natural thing. I just, you know, all scripture is inspired. All scripture is good. I just have have bits. You're a human being. You're not going to have one. You're not going to have it all in front of you at the same time. And so, so there's some passages, um, uh, Ephesians 2, Mm. the whole thing, uh, adore Ephesians 2, um, uh, the Luke 4, when Jesus announces his public ministry, Mm. that's actually quotes from Isaiah. I love Isaiah 6. Um, you sure. know, there are certain passages where I'm just like, mm-hmm. never in my life did I think there would be a chapter in Revelation that is that way. I already know what one it is. Which one is it? Which it's, one is it? It's chapter 12. It's chapter 12. Yeah, yeah, I love chapter 12 too. It's it's cool. Revelation chapter 12 was, you ready for this? Yeah. A revelation. Uh, but um, we're here all week. That's why we need <laughs> Jeff here for the drops. We need a wah, wah, wah. Um, so that one chapter... <laughs> Describe <laughs> that one chapter describes so vividly the spiritual warfare oh, of man. our uh, of our entire human existence. Mm-hmm. It it sent me back. I mean, if you were in Montgomery a few weeks ago, you heard me preach out of this text because it, it was that impactful for me when I, I read through it. Um, spiritual warfare has always been one of those topics that I've I've been. You know, how do I approach this? I know it's a thing, but I all the stuff that you know I. Mm-hmm. Again, the way I was introduced to spiritual warfare was, and if you like the books, this is not an insult. This is just my story. I was introduced to it through Frank Peretti yeah, mm-hmm. and through this present darkness. Right. And it kind of makes a sci-fi novel out of spiritual warfare. Yep. Um, and, and for those who love that book, just a thing to put in the back of your mind, that's not necessarily a biblical vision of spiritual warfare. It's, it's, much, it's, like the, a, it's, it's much the same critique as you would have with The Chosen or any right. other extra biblical... Yes. Rendering of biblical truth. Right. So be careful not to read this present darkness back into the Bible. Yeah. Um, which I think we do with a lot of things. We do. And, you know, you got to be intentional. That's a presupposition. It's going right. to happen. Yeah. So um, Revelation 12 gives a vivid picture of what we're facing. A defeated dragon, a mm. defeated enemy who's still dangerous. Yeah. That is a... Um, yeah. It really helped create a, a language for me yeah. to approach spiritual warfare. And so I, I have Revelation 12 up there as like I think defining my whole theology. Now. I think Revelation 12 was, um, and this I hadn't really given a lot of consideration to until we taught it. I mean, yeah. it's, it just, you know, sometimes, you know, how many times have you and I had a conversation where we're like, we haven't even asked that question. That's a good question to ask. Um, and you realize... I'm making assumptions about that. And one yeah. of them was from Revelation 12 this time around where I realized this this actually tells us that spiritual warfare is elevated in the time between the first and second coming because Satan's casting out of heaven and dwelling on the earth, i.e. the dragon that chases the woman into the wilderness right from the other that you know it's is um 
correlative to the first coming of Christ. So the so Christ's incarnation and first coming and Satan cast out elevation of spiritual warfare in the God of this or of this world, right? You know, first Corinthians or second Corinthians four. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so, second. Um, um, but yeah, that or it might be first. I'm not I sure. Anyway, it's Corinthians four. I get I don't my know Corinthians mixed up all the time. <laughs> exactly. So many Corinthians. But the God around. of this world, where Paul talks about that, right? So God lowercase, obviously. But you know that that idea, and I think that under uh, that sort of should push back against a lot of preconceived notions that people have about Satan. Um, he doesn't dwell in hell. He doesn't rule in hell. Uh, hell is a punishment for him as well. It's, you know, that that's all right. of that is there. He, he dwells in this earth now between the first and second coming. Yeah, that uh, that line, um, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from Paradise Lost. It's a different yeah. Yeah. great line. Great book. Untrue the Bible <laughs> and untrue. <laughs> so um, I love how great a line it is. Well, I, mean, I mean, it's oh, like, poetically. It's a beautiful yes, line. Yeah. It's just um, <laughs> all right. It's just factually incorrect. Um, all right. We, we only have a couple minutes left. So let me let me ask you this. I think so. If, if I could just, yeah, I think 22. Oh, I, I would add yeah. 22 because as we were talking about beforehand, I think 22 is the final word. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And because it's the final word, you want to take that seriously. This is the last word that God speaks until Jesus does come again. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. the logos returns mm -hmm. to speak judgment and reward. Um, so the, the articulation of, of uh, I am coming soon over and over again and, you know, tr trust in the word, uh, in in the in the epilogue of the letter in sixteen through twenty one, the end of of twenty two or the second half of twenty two, if you will, I, for me, I just think um, this speaks to part of that vision. Like, so what's my vision of Christ? Part of that vision, part of my understanding of the gospel, inherently must include second coming. Yes, I, I think we need to be oriented as a people around a living with the expectation that either Christ is coming soon or I'm going to Christ soon. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, one way or the other. Right. right. And that, we said that at the beginning of the class, right. And one of the descriptions yeah. in the opening of the letter is to the one who, who was and who is and is to come. Um, and I think it's important for us to make sure that we frame our gospel understanding of Jesus as not simply the one who died for our sins, but is the one who is risen and who reigns and who will come again. Amen. So many of those images in Revelation is he who comes to gather, right? This, uh, every We talked about this a lot. The cyclical imagery was every cycle, every vision culminates in the second coming. Everything is about second coming. And so when you get to the end of the letter, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, three times we get, you know, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And John says, you know, come Lord Jesus. That's it. Yeah. We, uh, the focus for me, that was convicting for me as I, I thought, this is the last word of God. And it's, am I living as one who lives with a genuine expectancy of the coming of Christ, Whew. which has to be foundational, inescapably linked to what it is I understand about the nature and person of Christ and the very gospel itself. Man, I would say that'll preach, but you preached it. So clearly, <laughs> clearly that'll preach. So. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. You know, I, I think... Um, if people remember back to the, to this last season that I did with Jess Kilduff on the essentials, mm -hmm. you know, the second coming is one of the essentials yeah. and it's not a lesser essential. No, it's that there's, there's no, like, yeah. these are the main essentials and then there's these itty bitty kind of essentials. Mm -hmm. No, this is an essential of the faith. He yeah. is coming soon yeah. mm -hmm. and we are to live with that in, in our, in our, in the front of our minds, not yeah. in the back of our I minds. I used, uh, the 
parable of the unwise servant. Yeah. As you know, that's an illustration from Matthew where yeah. you have like, are, are you going to be busy about the work of the kingdom when the servant comes? Or are you going to be like the one who says, well, I think my master is delayed. What, what does he do? Right. He gets drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. He mm-hmm. beats the other servants and the language is severe. Oh, when yeah. the, he's going to come oh, at a time yeah. back. I'm going to come back at a time when you don't expect it. And I'm going to cut you into pieces yeah. and throw you out where there will be gnashing of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, I mean you, you get ouch. There's another parable as well. The parable of the 10 virgins mm-hmm. who are waiting on the yeah, waiting yeah. on the, the bridegroom to come. Yeah. And um, they weren't prepared to wait. Yeah, that's part of the it. Oil. They didn't have enough oil because it. There's an expect there's an expectation yeah. and, and there's also a willingness to wait. Yes. Um, expectation and preparation. And he comes back, he closes the door because they weren't ready for him to come back. Amen. And yeah. they're not getting in. Yeah. And so there is, there's certainly more of an urgency in the scriptures than perhaps in our own Christian in the church lives and in the church. Yeah. So yeah. Amen. Well, I think that's a great way to end this. Amen. Thanks yeah. for thanks for teaching the class with me. Oh, that was awesome. That was fun. Yeah. Thanks for abandoning me at the end. You know, I had things to do, people to see. Um, you had to listen to the King of Jordan. I had to to the King of Jordan. Um, you know, to, to everybody who was a part of that class, a special shout out to Bill Quackenbush, yes. by the way, yeah. who basically wrote our class yes. as as we. We have a brief commentary it. of 135 yeah, pages. It's, it's I 135 think it pages of notes. It's wonderful yeah. and a resource that I look forward to going through very soon. And Bill needs to be bored more often because uh, I mean, that's he's productive. That he's productive. <laughs> he's bored. That's fantastic. And listen to everybody who who was a part of that class. Thank you for joining us. Amen. And for Amen. those of you who listened online, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you missed it, um, it you is didn't online. miss it. It's online. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. go and listen to it, mm-hmm. and um, you can reach out to either of us with your questions. We'd mm-hmm. love to have a conversation with you about it. So, um, all right. Well, sayonara yeah. to Revelation. You know, we should say one last thing, though. One of the things that we brought up in the class was the theme of blessing. Oh. You know, we talked about it as a book of blessing, and yeah. we probably should just... We can say goodbye, but let's not forget that that's a key and important theme. We see seven blessings as completion. That's mm-hmm. really important part of the book. It is meant to be a blessing. Yeah. Right? So I just we don't have to open back up the episode so and start over again. But it's really it's it just occurred to me we probably should mention that. So as basically, well. what you're saying is we need to sign off with uh, hashtag blessed. Yeah. That's, oh, I did not say that. No, all right. No. So. In the words of Tim Sherritt, pastor oh, of not. Goodwill Church. You're going to make me give uh, Tim tears if I do that. This was, uh, I don't even remember <laughs> what season we're in, I think season 15. Is that right? I don't know. You wouldn't know. Why would you know? I wouldn't know exactly. You wouldn't know that. Let me look it up. You so should that I know this that. right. Um, it is season 14. Uh, this has been season 14, episode three. Hashtag blessed. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like our show, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, and be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Check out our episode notes for links to our church website and any resources shared on this episode. Editing and sound design by Jeff DiMatti. Marcos Ortega wrote this episode. Our executive producers are Mike Antonucci and Jeff DiMatti. Your co-hosts are Pastor Marcos Ortega and Jessica Kilduff. A special thanks to Goodwill Church for supporting this show so we may provide it to you, our listeners, for free. Let's talk again next week.